Hey, is this thing on? Disclaimer, warning, caution, earmuffs, a lot of profanity, fair amount of swearing, that kind of thing on this podcast. Don't listen at work. Don't listen with the kids. Don't listen on a boombox while you're breaking in a church basement. Chapter 27, Lombardo Out, again, 1991. Though it wasn't apparent at the time, Slayer were coming down from a career high. Internally, things went from bad to worse, quickly. The classic lineup shattered. As it had in late 1986, Lombardo's time in the band ended in a classic, you can't fire me, I quit scenario. And, once again, it nearly ended in a fist fight. As always, the problems and the causes and the consequences were a complicated web, and none of the fallout was linear. By 1991, Lombardo was fuming. The band refused to formally acknowledge his contributions to their songs. He still had not received a single album credit for writing lyrics or music, and he never would. Let me step aside and talk about this for a little bit here. Again, you will recall, the three classic drum moments from Rain and Blood are number one, the double bass roll in Angel of Death, number two, the cymbal ride to Criminally Insane, that funky intro, and number three, the thud, thud, thud intro to Raining Blood. Jeff wrote the parts for Criminally Insane and Raining Blood, and Jeff and Carrie told Dave to play that bass part in Angel of Death. They effectively put it in there, which is in no way to discount Dave's contributions in playing those parts. I mean, after all, listen to them on the demos, listen to them on the albums. Dave makes it happen. At the end of Slayer's career, This is the tally for the songwriting credits. Between music and lyrics, King had written 148, 148 credits. Hanneman had 130, Araya, 41, Bo Staff, we're going to get to him in a second, the drummer that succeeded Dave, if not replaced him, had three writing credits. At the end of Slayer's career, Dave Lombardo had zero writing credits for music or lyrics. Now, record deals, you see, even in the 21st century, are based on a literally antiquated system of determining how the money is split up. Life, one of maybe three positive things that I learned in Catholic grade school, life is not fair. I don't know if that's even a positive thing, but I learned that. The real money in a record deal, which is not fair, comes from the portion called publishing, which is the rights to the lyrics. In my estimation, smart bands do this. U2 and Van Halen did it famously. Van Halen would later go back on the deal, which was the dick move. Smart bands simply split all the money four or five ways, equally between every member. One famous example of a band that did not do that is Jane's Addiction, and look what happened to them, or more to the point, did not happen to them. 
Now, they famously had other problems too, obviously, but that's not the point. So anyhow, when you refuse to split the money fairly in an equitable fashion, it is a huge fuck you to the rest of the band. Is it fair? Yeah, maybe other members should step up and do more and write more and contribute more to the creative process. But how in the blue hell can you marginalize the contributions of somebody like Dave Lombardo, whose every single move behind the drum kit is underpinning your entire piece of work? So let's look at this from the angle of management and teamwork. When you refuse to cut the rest of the band in on that publishing lyrics money, regardless of whether it's right, you send a clear message that they, the rest of the band, are not important to you. And that causes problems too. I say this all the time. It's a foible of human psychology that fascinates me. People would rather have 100% of nothing than half or even 75 or 90% of something. And if you cut your team out of the financial picture, you are left with a bigger piece of a smaller pie that tends to get smaller and eventually diminishes, disappears. I don't think it adds up mathematically or ethically to cut somebody like that out of the credits for writing music and lyrics. But I was never in a band with Dave Lombardo. I don't know. That's just my take on it. So, after five albums... After all the albums, Dave Lombardo still had not received a single album credit for writing lyrics or music, and he never would. He told reporter Borevoj Kurgan in a Metal Maniacs interview, I guess I'm the problem causer in the band, because now I'm getting a little bit tired listening to the music and realizing what they do. Okay, they do the guitar parts, they do the guitar leads, they do the guitar riffs, they put everything together. But I feel like on some songs, I've worked so hard on it, there's so many drum rolls, there's so much things, it's like, man, I should be getting paid for that shit. What are they going to do? Kick me out? Go ahead. I don't care. End quote. But when things did finally come to a head, for once... Slayer's problems with Lombardo had some roots in true professionalism. Lombardo, the groundbreaking king of metal drumming, was not playing well. One of the band's more memorable tours cracked the group's foundation. Lombardo accidentally shredded his reputation as an ace drummer in the name of showmanship. It was a simple reason that Lombardo would not put together, literally, until it was way too late. The king's drum throne was too high. You see, over the years, producer Rick Rubin has also consistently played a role as the band's executive producer. Some would say even more so than as a producer, certainly as the years went on. In his capacity as an executive producer, he helped shape the group's, not just their music, but their presentation as well. As a student of rock history, Rick Rubin understands what works, and he knows what it takes to make a great show, a great presentation. And Lombardo, metal's most visible drummer at that point, 
was not as visible as he could have been, not in concert anyway. So Slayer added a drum riser, a part of the set that would grow over the years, until it was six feet tall during the late 1990s in the years with Paul Bostaff on drums. In 1991, the drum riser was about five feet high and rising. As King recalled it, the added altitude still was not enough. So Rubin suggested that Lombardo raise his drum stool higher. The way Lombardo remembers it, he attributes the higher drum seat to his drum tech. He was still dealing with his kit as little as possible. Lombardo told me, We were touring a lot. I didn't pay much attention to my drum set, its positioning. I kind of lost touch with my instrument. My drum tech was a lot heavier than I was, a big guy, tall and husky. His stature was different than mine, so he would set up the drum set to his position rather than mine, end quote. Once Dave's drum kit was higher, Lombardo started having trouble pulling off his signature move, the double bass kicks in Angel of Death. Important to remember, everybody can play that now, but at the time there were not ten, maybe not five, people who could play it effectively. And again, remember, add in Dave's age. He was born in 65, so in 1991 he's 26. This kind of metal is relatively new. We don't know how long people can last in this field. And it looked like Dave's best years were behind him, maybe. Soon, all of Dave's foot playing required extra effort. As a young drummer in the fledgling Slayer, Lombardo had grown tired of loading and assembling and dismantling and unloading his kit. Now his wish had come true. He finally had somebody to tend to his drums. But it wound up driving him out of the band. With his performance off, Lombardo was no longer untouchable. He had left the band, they tried to do it without him, it didn't work, they invited him back, and the band was at a stalemate for a long time. No longer. Nobody traced the problem to its root, not then. Lombardo seemed to have simply lost his touch. Considering how the drummer was playing, King thought he had to go. King told me, realistically, what it came down to, he wasn't doing his performance great. He sat high and he lost his kicks. His feet went away. And before he realized that was the issue, we'd already separated, end quote. But, as is often the case, the separation didn't come about because of the core problem. With tension building, things came to a head due to a different issue. The Lombardo's first child was due in late September 1992. Lombardo told the group that he couldn't play shows around that due date. The band received an offer to play Monsters of Rock, the legendary British metal festival, on August 22nd. So what is Kerry King's goal in life? What does he want? Why does he do Slayer? Why does he exist? Why does he get up in the morning? Kerry King wants to be a heavy metal hero. That's pretty much it, from the time he was a kid till now. That is his priority. Kerry King grew up reading about the festival, which is also sometimes referred to as Donington or Castle Donington after its location. Slayer at this point had toured the world. They were metal gods. 
but playing Donington was one of King's few rock and roll fantasies he had yet to achieve. He was not going to pass up the opportunity to be on this bill. On this bill, by the way, Iron Maiden was headlining, the Skid Row billed second, Skid Row, huge deal at the time, then Slayer, Thunder, and Wasp, in that order, split the poster's third line. And the group had taken off all of 1992 after touring seasons in the abyss. So in 92, late 92, eight European festivals in August were the band's only shows slated for the entire year, and thus their only major chance to get out and make some money. The dates were scheduled. As they rehearsed for the shows, the atmosphere at practices was tense. When and if the band showed up for practice, that is. After a long, all-year-long layoff, Slayer reconvened just outside Los Angeles in the Orange County suburb Anaheim to rehearse their next set of shows. The drummer, as was his custom, would be the first one to show up at the practice studio. It was a warehouse crammed with old banners and set lists and stage props and a stolen tombstone. Now what you're about to hear, this account is based on different details from different interviews with everybody in the band, different interviews over the years, some with me, some with others. Details vary from account to account. This is how it went down. So Dave Lombardo had a pre-practice ritual of his own. Tom Araya, Jeff Hanneman, Kerry King had a custom of their own. They would have a pre-practice huddle at a nearby restaurant. Hanneman famously loved TGI Fridays, but Tom Araya recalls this is happening at a Chili's. The pre-game ritual that the front line had would often run into overtime, with most of the dudes from Slayer drinking, laughing, and having a good time while Lombardo would sit at the practice space, waiting and waiting and waiting and fuming and generally doing nothing while his pregnant wife sat at home alone without him. One night in the practice spot, sitting alone well after the scheduled start time, Lombardo blew a gasket. He left the kit and he stormed to the restaurant. Sure enough, by the time he arrived there, the rest of the band were there, sitting in a row at the bar. The drummer walked in and zoomed up to his teammates. Araya recalled the scene. Lombardo pointed at Hanneman and King like a dad who had caught his twin sons raiding the family liquor cabinet. Lombardo aimed a finger at each of them in turn. You and you, he said, I want to talk to you two outside. King, Hanneman, and Araya exchanged looks. The guitarists rose from their bar stools, and they followed Lombardo outside. Araya remained at the bar, watching the rest of the band talk in the parking lot. Animated and agitated, Lombardo was ranting at Hanneman and King, waving his finger and bitching them out. The angrier Lombardo got the closer he moved toward them. As Lombardo inched into arm's length, Araya thought, Man, I better get out there, see what the fuck's going on. End quote. 
The singer scurried outside before somebody punched somebody. Outside, the dialogue was even hotter than it seemed from the bar. The singer, who had voiced Hanneman's most unspeakable ideas, dropped his jaw in disbelief when he heard this exchange. Lombardo was fucking pissed, and he was not holding back. As Araya watched, Lombardo delivered the guitarists a riot act that was ten years in the making. When he was talking to me, Araya diplomatically declined to recreate the exact dialogue, but he did say that the things Dave was saying were very pointed and very, very personal. Finger flying, Lombardo gave voice to every thought he had ever had about the band's co-captains, Jeff and Carrie, being a couple of stubborn, moron chuckleheads. That's what Lombardo thinks, not me. More on that in a minute. Lombardo's outburst was a blindside out of the black, but it was not a complete surprise. Tension had been high in the group. Araya had envisioned some kind of scenario, he'd foreseen it, where Lombardo would end up confronting King and Hanneman, but he never imagined this kind of venomous, soul-bearing assault. Araya interrupted Lombardo's flow and said, I can't believe you're saying these things, Dave. Araya looked at King and Hanneman. King looked at Araya. Hanneman looked at Araya. Hanneman looked at Lombardo. Hanneman looked at Araya. Hanneman spoke up, his surfer-like cool dangerously close to a critical fail. Tom, man, you better talk to your boy. Araya thought about it for a moment. Then the singer decided that the time to talk was over. Said Araya, Man, I ain't talking to him anymore. Later, Dave. Araya, Hanneman, and King turned around and walked away from Lombardo. As they bolted, a stunned Araya tried to figure out what had just happened. The singer asked, Dude, what was he screaming about before I was there? Explained Araya, quote, after all the years, maybe I've got it mixed up, but it threw me for a loop. I wasn't expecting that. He was upset about rehearsal, but he said a lot of other things that should have been left unsaid because they were said in the heat of the moment, unquote. The conversation was over. The drummer was not fired on the spot, but the decision followed quickly. Cooler heads did not prevail. His long-brewing fury vented, Lombardo tried to backpedal. He told Araya that he didn't mean the outburst as a personal attack on the band's twin axemen. Araya reflected, After the fact, you think twice about the things you said. I know he did, but I heard them and thought, All right, I know you're expressing yourself, and you can sit there and deny anything you want, but these are your true expressions. End quote. Lombardo got his wish. He didn't have to go to Europe. The drummer's time in Slayer was done for now. Dave was fired. He was out. He would not return to the band for nearly a decade. And even after that reunion, Lombardo would never fully re-enter the group's inner circle. Slayer recruited another drummer prospect. The practices were difficult. They were not going anywhere. It wasn't happening. Elsewhere in California, drummer Paul Bostaff had just quit Forbidden, 
a Bay Area thrash band that also rocked like hell. The next day, when Bostaff received a call from Slayer inviting him to audition, he just happened to be available. The audition went well. At the time, Bostaff's propulsive drumming, as you can hear in the Forbidden albums, was closer to Lombardo's swinging style, much closer than it was to the, the mechanized assault that he would bring later to Slayer Records. Bostaff was in the band. Hellbent for leather, Slayer packed up and headed to the UK. King never did relax his position on paternity-induced band hiatuses. Though eventually, circumstances most unfortunate would demand that King employ those very tactics to keep the Slayer Panzer running. In the ensuing years, the band would be remarkably frank, albeit vague, about the conflict of Lombardo versus everybody else that ended Slayer's golden era. A riot told Rip Magazine reporter Dana Darzen in 1993, Darzen being a rock journalist and writer of some note, quote, People always say musical differences when bands split. For us, it was all personal. End quote. In that Metal Maniacs interview, Lombardo would reveal that his bond with Hanneman, which had once been so tight, had degenerated to merely quote-unquote so-so by 1991, and he would confess that he never got along with King. And on this point, Lombardo and King did agree. King would tell Metal Hammer writer Kirk Blows, quote, There wasn't much friendship between me and Lombardo. He pretty much hates me. Everybody in the band was fed up with babying Dave. End quote. After he left Slayer over the years, Lombardo's resentment toward King festered, never went away. He resisted generally taking shots at King and his former band as best he could. Then, in 2001, a German interviewer coaxed a rare but coded, negative, explicitly negative nugget out of Lombardo during a Fantomas interview. Lombardo told German TV station Viva Spy with the tone of a pro wrestler cutting a deeply personal promo on his former bandmate. He said, don't even get me started on Kerry King. Holding his fingers mere millimeters apart, Lombardo said with relish, quote, the guy, his brain is the size of a Hasselnusa, end quote. Hasselnusa is German for hazelnut. Hazelnuts are small, like the size of your fingertip. Dave's gone, baby. Dave's gone. Next week, Disorder and Divine Intervention. Stay tuned for some more fun stuff from the Seasons in the Abyss tour. Maximum Gratitude. Maximum gratitude, undisputed gratitude, to the Slaytanic superfans who financially support this show. Mark Evans, Vigard Fawson, Howard H. Smith, host of Talking Bollocks, Acid Rain Singer, you're a funny guy. David Jones, Vince Stigma Bloom, Dave Mack, Daryl's Whammy Bar, Metal Matt Hinch, Ryan Dussault, also... The hardliest working man in podcasting, host of thrashmetalshow.com, 
your friend no friender. Yen's guys do more than your share to keep this show coming. Thank Yen's very much. Here is a little taste of some extra material Patreon supporters got last week. This is the deal with the show, friends. Free listeners get every other episode. Supporters, and you can be a supporter for as little as $3 a month. That's less than a buck an episode. You can do that. Supporters get it all. All. No, all. Here is some real viewer mail. Viewer mail. This is from David Jones, who is one of our very righteous, very generous supporters. He has a great story about seeing Slayer live on the season's tour. It is short and to the point. I salute you, sir. Mr. Jones writes, Season's Tour, Newport Music Hall in Columbus, Ohio. General admission, maybe 1,200 capacity. Line of Slayer fans around the block. During Dead Skin Mask, I shared solid, sustained eye contact with a woman in the pit as she and her dude fucked, standing facing each other, their bodies so smashed together by the maelstrom that their feet might not have even been touching the floor. Somehow we locked eyes. She appeared to be having the time of her life. I also remember a prosthetic leg being brandished like a sword by the owner up in the balcony. I nearly had my chest crushed by the stage barricade. Ears rang for days. End quote. So that's one story from Slayer Live. Let me ask you this. Have you seen the band? And something crazy, insane, insane, crazy happened in the audience or outside the venue or on the side of the stage? I want to hear about it. If it's cool with you, I will share it on the show. Email me at slayerbook at gmail.com. Speaking of which, social media update. Twitter sucks worse every day. I used to live there. Now I'm barely there. It's slash slayerbook, though. Slash slayerbook. Facebook, I barely use that, but... Over there, I am at Facebook slash Slayer Book. Insta, I do send out a fair amount of cool music stuff, mostly Slayer. Over there, it is slash Slayer Books, S on the end. I'm on Blue Sky, but it's mostly a personal account. I get personal, I get political. You might not like that. We might have different opinions. I don't want to alienate you. The important thing is we have Slayer in common. The best way to see most of the Slayer stuff that I do post, and I do try to dig up some cool stuff, is on the Patreon page. So go to patreon.com slash slayerbook, patreon.com slash slayerbook, and you'll see some cool stuff. So who is this? What was that? Who is this guy? I am your metal bruv, Ferris, a.k.a. DX Ferris. D like David, X like Javier, Ferris like the wheel. I wrote two books about Slayer. One is about Rain and Blood, how they made it and what it means. 
One is a newly, freshly updated biography called 66 and Two-Thirds, a metal band biography. The easiest way to get that book, both of them actually, is at Amazon where they ship free. And hey, if you have issues with Amazon, I get it. I understand that. I am uh, profoundly conflicted about my relationship with Amazon, but not so much that I don't use it. There are other places to get the books too, including variant covers, which are coming very soon, in very, very, very limited numbers. And what you heard just now was a chapter from that book, Slayer 66 and Two-Thirds. As the lead singer of Disco Express once said, if you like that, there's more where that came from. This is Talkin' Slayer, a metal podcast and half-assed audiobook. Talkin' Slayer is written, somewhat rehearsed, deeply researched, lightly edited, with a little bit of production value. More next week. See you soon. Appreciate you listening. Thank you for listening to Talkin' Slayer, a podcast and half-assed audio book by your pal Ferris. To support the show and learn more, visit patreon.com slash slayerbook. S-L-A-Y-E-R-B-O-O-K. Patreon.com slayerbook. No S on the end. Credits and crucial thanks. Podcast artwork is by Jason Shank of Midwest Authenticity Consultants. Unless otherwise noted, all the rad music is by Nige Savage, the aggressive perfecter, also of the awesome UK thrash band Chupacabra. Check them out. From the hit podcast Spanking It with Julio, the producer is Mitch Kramer, the spirit in black. The dog is Wolfie. Audio technical consultants are... Matt Wardlaw, The Tormentor, Forrest Gabbage of Southbound Tracks, codename Gemini, Jessica Baxter of the Paid in Puke podcast, and Stargate Pioneer and everyone at the Gunna Geek Network. Consultant for Audiovisual Affairs and Irish History is James Ferris of Massive Media. The beta test group is Vince Bloom, Craig Cohen, Steve-O, your older brother Sam, Bruno McDonald, Jason Pettigrew, Outer Nowhere, Sue Madre, and Mike Olszewski. The Slatanic Archivists are Jamie Walters, Tony Alberts, Spar Schmidt, Chris Bade, Paul from Dropgun, Paul from Slayerized, and Nicholas, the Slayer Collector. Ongoing thanks to metal mentors and radio dudes, including but not limited to Ed Rohr, Brian Biggs, Randy Fox, and Dean B. True. Additional Shingy, courtesy Captain Shum and the Concerned Party Lembe Squad. Expert consultation by Nate Runkle, the Catalyst, also of Yo, That's My John, good show. Howard H. Smith of Acid Rain and Talking Bullocks, a.k.a. the Captor of Sin. No Friender of the Thrash Metal Show and the When It Was Cool Podcast Network. And Ryan J. Downey, the Ghost of War, also of the Speak and Destroy Podcast. Thanks. I heart ends. I heart ends all. A lot. Partial list of people that I wish were still here. Sumner J. Ferris. Nora Ferris. Vera Lehane. Ron Forsyth, Lori Martin, Audrey Sapizi, Don Olszewski, and Tom Morrissey. 
Jeff Hanneman too, obviously, but I did not know him personally. If you have a different opinion, you are right and I am wrong. If you have questions or you want to rap, you can find me online. At Twitter, I am SlayerBook, no S. On Insta, I am SlayerBooks, with an S on the end. On Facebook, SlayerBook, no S. Buy the book and you can find an email address in it. The book, Slayer 66 and Two Thirds, a metal band biography, the 2023 postmortem update, is published by 6623 Press. It is a very reasonably priced paperback and a very cheap Kindle ebook. 6623 Press makes useful, reasonably priced, unconventional, creator-owned books about popular culture, success, and other cool stuff. This podcast is a production of 6623 Press and Mostly Things. The easiest place to find my books is Amazon, but select retailers have them too. If you're a retailer and you don't have them, but you want them, hit me up. Thank you for listening. More next time. Peace. Fuck. Have her off.